Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And my inability to throw out a good jar says more about me than you will ever know. Mm. You can't be throwing out good jars. I mean, it's glass. Yes, you can use that. I love a jar for storage, obviously, for anything in the fridge, in the craft room, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Here's where I draw my line, Tamika. Okay, I need to know. I am not keeping that label on there. I will no. fight. I will fight <laughs> so hard. I will scratch off that residue with my fingernail if I have to. I can't. I can't. I can't. That's Mm-mm. that's a big a big difference between me and my husband. Oh, he'll leave the labels on? Yeah. yeah. He's a monster. He is a monster. He, I thought he was... He's no. a monster. He's been exposed. <laughs> I can't. What kind of? Well, I don't need to know what kind of pickles you eat. <laughs> it's but, too confusing. It's, also, I'm like, this is a surprise to no one. I'm like, let's label every single thing, please. Can we just like write on a piece of masking tape and put it on there? <laughs> That's also a, a point of contention in our household. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I just, yeah, I I see, especially don't let it be interesting. If that's an interesting jar, you best believe it's going underneath the sink until it has a purpose. It is, and I cook, I make a lot of sauces and, you know, thing. and girl, I'm making jam. I'm waiting for my strawberries to come in this year and I'm jamming it up. So I'm like, just giving an excuse to keep a good glass jar. I am uh, I want to keep every glass bottle because they don't take them in my recycling. And so we, mm. have, to, we have to go to a separate recycling right. center for that. But I'm just like, oh, but look how the, the green just shines through the sunlight in the window. Oh, I can use this for my avocado plant. It's terrible. It's terrible. Like when I pass away. Slippery my gran- slope, man. It is. I do not want my grandchildren just been like the glass, though. Grandma, why the glass? (laughs) It's true. It's true. I mean, what you need to do, Minka, is build an earth ship and just turn that glass into a wall. Yeah. Done. Done. I know what I'm doing after the podcast. Like, here's my hands. Getting dirty. I'm ready. Let's go, Mars. (laughs) Well, when I'm not building Earth ships, I like to call one of my dearest friends and talk about racial identity in the month of June. In the month of June. Nothing says June like racial identity. And ethnic. Racial and ethnic identity. Yeah. It's kind of, it's like, it's like a a margarita in the summer. It's just perfection. Uh, But it's, it's June, everyone. We made it. We're halfway through the year already. Let that sink in. And that means a new toolkit. And it's identity and appearance this month. Yes. And today specifically, we are tackling the question or Mm -hmm. talking about the question. We aren't quite tackling it. If this is your first episode, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) This week, we're talking about uh, can you appropriate your own culture? Like it has staying on it. Yeah. So what does that what does that even mean? I know, I know, because even when you think about it, you have to kind of define a- appropriation within this context. And so the the I guess the problem I have with this mm. question is that what it's asking and what I actually want them to ask. Mm. What it's asking is that okay, let me actually do the inverse. What I wish it would ask 
is who it actually applies to. Can people who are light-skinned or white-passing be able to embrace, display their culture in the way that they identify? Mm. Like, that's what I want. Like, when I hear this question, it's such a good question and what it doesn't say. Because uh, my best friend in high school, when he decided to grow his hair out, he's a very dark-skinned black man. No one ever questioned the legitimacy of his afro, right? Right. he's dark. But we both know people who are lighter skin or mixed. If they did the same, there's some issues. So I really, this question has the perfect amount of not saying what it actually means. It yeah. is. Yeah. I would take it a little bit further than that as well. Like, I think that's one aspect of it. Another aspect that is being folded in is, and I'm always bringing it back to the Afro-Latinos. Because mm-hmm. it's like, if you're black people are like oh you're not latino but it's like that 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 i think people can see that is appropriation exactly when it all boils down to i think a key a key conversation point for the month which is like how much does your physical appearance have to match your identity exactly yeah you must be this ethnic appearance. And we're talking about fighting monoliths, but it's so funny because there's this model. Are you this appearance? Do you speak the language this well? Do you speak it enough in the right circle in order to physically portray and claim that identity you are? Because even the word appropriation, let's say if talking about someone who is Afro-Latinx within this confound of like, Appropriation, I always associated kind of like with racism. It Mm. can't be against the minority group. Like when I hear appropriation, I think it still has such ties to the majority group within power. Then taking and using the attributes, whether it be cultural, food, dress, and then taking it as their own. And I think there's something missing in that when we talk about your own culture. If someone is like Afro-Latinx, you are two minority groups. How how can you use one power over the other? Like, I think even that word appropriation, I'm like, I don't even know if it fits into this context. Yeah. And I think that's also a, a something that we don't talk about too much because it's a little different than our own experiences mm-hmm. and something that isn't really talked about within mainstream discussions about race, but mixed race people who are not mixed with white, mm-hmm. right? Like where where do those people fall on this the spectrum and in this discussion? So just to keep that in our in the back of our minds. I think I agree with you on the way that you're describing appropriation. And we did do a whole episode on cultural appropriation. Yeah. (laughs) And we can link that in the show notes if you haven't heard it. But I found this, this definition of cultural appropriation that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, Mm. But I, I think it's worth mentioning here, especially in frame of this conversation. Okay. So It says, cultural appropriation refers to the use of objects or elements of a non-dominant culture in a way that doesn't respect their original meaning. So far, so good. Totally on board. Give credit to the source or reinforces stereotypes or contributes to oppression. So I think I haven't really thought about it too much in terms of, of those final bits. And that's where I'm like, I don't know if I entirely agree, but I think that is probably perhaps part of the consideration 
with this question of like, mm. can you appropriate your own culture? So I think if if you are taking elements of your culture, not respecting their original meaning and reinforcing stereotypes or contributing to the oppression, contributing to the white supremacy machine, that could be seen by some as appropriating your own culture. I don't know. What do you think? I think that's more like exploitation at Mm -hmm. that point, because that's what I even was thinking about. What would it be appropriation versus exploitation? Because I mean, I have experienced, I think for people in the arts, people who are, who take those stereotypes, especially within this mind frame of the arts, lean into them so hard to where I feel like they're detrimental and portraying those stereotypes to where they can be very harmful towards their own race. And, and I've seen that. I mean, that's something I struggled with coming up, seeing those kind of play out a little bit. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't call that cultural appropriation, but yeah. I see where you're like drawing that parallel. Like that definitely is more exploitation. Exactly. I think this is more talking about people of like Indian or South Asian descent in the U.S. who have not come up in the culture, who've not come up in a culture uh, where they've worn worn bindis, like wearing a bindi, I think is perhaps like where where this is going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like I don't I don't think that I would call that cultural appropriation, but I think this 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 definition would yeah that's say that would they like you're talking about the first half of that i completely agree with that the second one I, I find that to be like yeah that's borderline more exploitation than appropriation where this i think this definition or this question what we're asking is what you're saying it's like i don't think there's i would hope nothing malicious or trying to gain from it i think it's simply just the showing of the culture like you said like winning wearing the bindi uh, wearing hoop earrings, wearing these very iconic things from different cultures. So it's, I don't know, this problem is just, <laughs> it's yeah. a plethora. Just the question itself, we could probably spend a good amount of time on deciphering. Yeah, I think a key takeaway or something that has really resonated with me in examining like other people's reactions to this question is... So there's a woman, Gina May, and she is half Chinese, half white, born and raised in California. Her mother was from Hong Kong. She was raised by her mother, just her mother, not her father, single parent. So brought up with very heavy ties to her Chinese cultural roots. But she was brought up in LA and just just the way the mix happened, people would always assume that she was Latina (laughs) and would not think that she was Chinese. And so she got a lot of pushback about wearing traditional Chinese dress, celebrating Chinese holidays, like these things, because people accused her of appropriation, even though that was not the case. She had this really, really great pretty short telling of her story on the show Latina USA. And she talked about the fact that like, if the world is treating her like she's being culturally appropriative, then does it actually matter if she's being culturally appropriative or not? Like, that's like the result. That's like the way people are going to treat her and push back against her. So I think this goes... To a lot of what we've talked about, too, is like, 
Unfortunately, (laughs) we have to always be very aware of how we're being perceived in the world and what what's going to happen. And for her, she opted, at least in this radio show, she opted to like put away her traditional Chinese clothing and not wear it because she felt like it wasn't worth the the battles. Mm. I don't know. That, That just breaks my heart. And this goes along topics we've talked about ad nauseum of just like self-hate, imposter syndrome, and how these things manifest. Uh, The article that we have for our toolkit talks about, it's an intro to one of the books that we suggest that you read. And there was this this line that they have, and it's talking about straddling two or more cultures and talking about that feeling of something that doesn't belong to you, Mm -hmm. or you're trying too hard. And girl, that just hit my heart in so many ways and was so relatable as someone who is mixed and even as for someone who I is not white passing of still having those feelings I can't imagine of looking like neither of the races that you actually are like that is just yeah I mean I feel a very strong yeah I was about to ask you as someone I'm like my non-Asian friend who also looks Asian friend Danny um that's like so what does that do for your mindset though like you must feel so displaced yeah yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting feeling and i think i've mentioned on the show before the times in my life where i've felt like not like in the spotlight or not being like questioned about who i am have been when i lived in asia and when i lived in hawaii where there's a large hapa mixed population, Asian and and other things, and Native Hawaiian and white and things. And so those places, people made an assumption about the way I looked, and it was an assumption that made me part of, (laughs) of the norm of the majority, which was easy <laughs> um, in a lot of ways until we had to till like naturally things would come up like one of my favorite stories uh, about a good friend of mine who is Chinese American her husband is Chinese American and he was not living in Hawaii when we were there um, this was before they were married but they were dating. So I'd like only met him via like Skype and things we were classmates together and Later, like this is afterwards, um, they were in L.A. for something. And there was like a Christmas tree that was up early, but decorated for Dia de los Muertos. Um, So it had like calavera and like, you know, all these like skeletons and things on it and marigolds. And she was like, oh, my God, I have to take a picture of this for Danny. And then he was like, cool. Is she like really into Mexican culture? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like super. Like, yeah, like <laughs> it's not wrong. Yeah, so I, I think, I think it's it's an interesting line to walk when you look look like something else because there is that ease in just belonging rather than pointing it out. And I and I think that's something that we'll we'll come back to and encounter with the other topics uh, throughout the month. I think there is some real exhaustion in straddling mm-hmm. more than one culture. I think for me, my own experience, I think it's, I have the added exhaustion, and I think this is something lots of people perhaps who listen to the show experience as well, of also having a culture that I'm not, that I wasn't brought up in. Mm -hmm. 
that I don't have as strong a connection to, but I wish I did. And and for me, it also because I, I look Asian, but like it's it's really because I look Native American. Right. And that's the culture I'm referring to. And so it's like the one that presents the most on me physically. And it's also the one that I have the least amount of experience with. And so. I think that is also a concern when you're talking about appropriating cultures is like, what about the ties that you have within your family? And sometimes they express themselves physically also uh-huh. that you have not grown up around. Um, and I think I think it's different depending on what race or what ethnicity you're talking about. And I think like the two most unique cases tend to be either Black or Native American. Um, and looky, looky, we have, <laughs> we have the ability to talk about both those things um, today. As far as Native American within like the culture, like there's always the talk of you don't claim your heritage. You don't claim your tribe. Your tribe claims you. Yeah. Um, and so... And so that's a different thing. And there's there's this whole discussion about like enrolled versus non-enrolled federally recognized tribes versus non-federally recognized tribes. And so that's a whole thing. And that's a, a big conversation that happens a lot. And an example I wanted to share, and I, I don't I don't think you've looked at this article because I just like snuck it in mm-hmm. um, today. And it's because I literally read it this morning. <laughs> it was published <laughs> yesterday. But there is this really interesting article in the New York Times that was called The Native Scholar Who Wasn't. And it's about this woman, Andrea Smith. Have you heard about her at all? No, only through, like, I literally just took a little cheeky peek at the article and I was like, say what? Because this situation sounds very similar to a situation that yes. happened. Uh-huh. Yes, and they talk mm-hmm. about it in the article, actually. Okay, so I can't wait to, to dive in. Yeah, so this actually predates that. Um, mm-hmm. she, she is a, a scholar who says she is Oklahoman- Cherokee and she she has built her whole academic career on this idea. While she was in grad school, she became friends with another prominent scholar who who or who ended up being a prominent scholar, J. Kehulani Kawanui. She is a native Hawaiian, mm. but not born in Hawaii. So she has kind of that experience that I was talking about before of, you know, being part of the diaspora, but not not growing up in your ancestral homeland. And I don't know, I don't know her personal experience if like she had strong ties to the culture through her dad or not. But anyways, I think, you know, she was very aware and like Native Hawaiians aren't really a federally recognized tribe or anything. So there's a thing. It's a thing. (laughs) So they became friends and they did like lots of lots of work together. And then this article really really lays it out there the exposure of it turns out andrea smith not native american she claimed it on both sides of her family her on her mom's side cherokee on her dad's side ojibwe i think but it turns out all white on both sides And the article talks about some interesting things, too, because we get into these ideas of blood quantums and stuff and how with like a black person, for instance, you could be like, oh, 
you're claiming to be Black, let me meet your parents, which tends to be like the conversation, right? Like if one of your parents is Black, you're probably Black too. But uh, <laughs> but with a Native American and this idea of like the one drop rule, right? Like uh. it, it's harder to trace. And so they did, this, this journalist did like go back and interview people in her family. And like there were stories that they had like a Native ancestor, which we hear all the time. Oh, yeah. I think white feminists tend to really cling to this idea and really want it for themselves <laughs> in order to be like a little Girl. bit more. Yeah, I, I <laughs> no, I mean, I had to like I wrote when I was writing my notes for the show, I had to like go through and been like, ooh, D'Amika, that you can't open that because that that's what we're even talking about now. I mean, can we can we be frank? Can we be yeah, real, yeah. real right now? How am I, during college application time? did those percentages start massively coming out from where we like in New Mexico, where yeah. it's like the likelihood from uh, people having like a Latino, a Cubano, uh, a native uh, indigenous background is very high. But I think both you and I have had personal experiences of some of our, our, our lovely sisters our white girl sisters, all of a sudden they, they, they kind of take that and run. And I think even with this question, that person kind of popped up into my head. Yeah, and I and I think that the conversation there is goes in a couple different ways, right? Like yeah. it goes talking about what our question is for for today. Uh, like I don't you don't have to look a certain way to be exactly. Native American. So who am I to say? Um, I know, but, but it doesn't make it any less <laughs> No, no, I know, I know. And I mean there's definitely white presenting people yeah. who are way more tied to their indigenous roots than I am. Mm -hmm. Like they definitely have a claim to saying that. It's it's a strange thing too, right? Because like I on one side of my family, I I'm Choctaw, and it's you know like being enrolled in that is very straightforward and clear because my dad is Choctaw, my grandfather's Choctaw, my great grandparents are Choctaw. Like it's an easy like, and that's exactly what you do to be enrolled, right? It's like you have to uh, prove your lineage back to the doll. Dawes roles to to these original roles of uh, membership in the tribe dating back to like Trail of Tears times, right? Um, so like the thing is, like if you are <laughs> indigenous, you likely do have have that lineage. Like you can name back where it comes from. And now I'm going to contradict that by saying on my other side of my my family like i'm chicana and so it is like some sort of mix and because of white supremacy and settler colonialism a lot of the indigenous heritage has been hidden and i think i think we see this a lot in new mexico specifically but i'm sure it's everywhere is like there is a, a wave of people in our generation who are trying to reconnect exactly. um, with that heritage and i don't think I don't think that's appropriation just on on its own base level. Uh -huh. I, I, I agree. And, that, that, and that's where we said we have to walk that fine line between us kind of talking about the experience of white presenting people who talk about I have one drop running with the hills for it and going all in. And I know I've had to fix my attitude towards that because after all, do I not desire for our particular generation to kind of go back and embrace it because it has been because of colonialism that they lost it in the first place. So why would I have beef 
with them or claim that is appropriation when it's it was taken and they're simply claiming what was theirs to begin with and i and i think that that that's the main issue because i think this question in itself too i don't it's for people in the community towards their own people within the community. I don't yeah. see I don't see a lot of like white people calling out white passing other races been like I think that's my I mean yes, yes, you get the very extra super woke people who want to come to the rescue. Bless you. But it's but it, it's it's a question for us to ask within our own community and that's why we have things like colorism and this is yeah. you know like we have that kind of hue color stick to somebody else you must be this tan your nose must be this wide your hair must be this texture in order to and we have to take a look at ourselves within that and been like dude do you not understand that the reason why we even have this pressure and to have these needs to categorize ourselves is because of colonialism yeah absolutely like this is that like we are doing that as a straight response to still trying to figure out how do we organize ourselves in the world yeah yeah and i and i think things like this question can i appropriate my own culture like who was that for yeah i mean (laughs) and, and i think you're right i think it does tend to fall on lighter skinned people mixed race people the example of andrea smith is like is like a fear right like it's a fear of mine like it causes the fear that i have of like well if i like start to dig into my own heritage that i am not connected to like am i gonna come off as like like this white woman who has claimed it you know like that's real because once again because they don't keep records of that i mean do you know how many uh black people have dug and they're like oh actually my my family weren't slaves they came over on their own. Like yeah. people who would like look back and be like, we actually will free. And well, we and never- that's, and that's a yeah. whole thing too, because mm-hmm. there's actually a whole movement within Choctaw, the Choctaw free people who were, who were slaves of the Choctaw or who were, you know, yes. who are, who ended up being mixed race. Um, mm-hmm. And because of racism, were not allowed to enroll. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a whole thing too, to exactly. once again, talk about like being mixed minority groups, right? Mm-hmm. Like those people have just as much right to the culture. It's a different experience for someone who's come up in a culture than someone who is like discovering their roots. And I think there's mm-hmm. like respectful ways to do it and there's inappropriate ways to do it, right? Like, mm-hmm. like for instance, I would never like wear a headdress or something like yeah, well, that. That's because that's, that's where you are. You know, that's your journey and that's where you are. You understand that you do not have that tie it because you, even though you don't know, you know enough to know the weight of it. Yeah. And I think that's, once again, it goes into that intention, to that mindfulness. It goes to that critical thinking that we like to talk about a lot, like critically think about what you're doing and why you are doing it. And also that last question of asking, like, are you prepared to fight for this like if you want to wear a headdress but if you're not prepared to back that up like you were talking about in the middle of the topic like you were just it could be just too exhausting to or the, or the woman in the article about having to constantly having to defend explain and prove yourself if you are not in that place to do that you're going to have to examine is that is that where you're at right now? Is that something you could do right now? And to me, it doesn't make it right. <laughs> but yeah. it's almost like checking the, it is having to check your privilege a little bit. And, yeah. and it, it is a very hard pill to swallow. It's, it, like I said, it doesn't seem fair. But 
when we talk about our privileges, when we talk about the ways and perception of our of our lives, how we've been treated at people who are light skinned or white passing, you have had you have been allowed opportunities and privileges within that. And you have to check that fully, just like we would ask anyone else to check their privileges before going through anything else. You're not exempt from that rule. It does seem like you have to do it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But that's part of the process, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that is what I was kind of getting at with bringing up the article. Part of the reason that Keolani kind of went to bat for Andrea Smith for <laughs> until she found out the truth was oh. because she had experienced, she was like, oh, well, maybe she's not enrolled. Oh, maybe she like grew up away from the culture. Like, mm. I think there's like, there is the ability to recognize that is something that people come up against all yes. the time. And, and like, so she was willing to go to bat for someone who she thought whose experience was similar to hers. And it turned out it was just, you know, a a white person trying to feel special. Uh, that's the thing. That girl, that's the thing. The whole reason why we even have this question is because it has been done. Um, the, the We actually read this question randomly in another article while doing research for it. And I actually went back and I read that article. And it talks about this woman who was white and Indian, went to India, bought a sari for a wedding she might have, got married, didn't wear it, didn't feel comfortable. That is that is the summary of, of the mm. article. But the thing is, the reason why she didn't feel comfortable having the mandala, uh, having the traditional garb for her wedding is because, one, she didn't feel like she wanted to be playing dress up. She always felt like because of her appearance, it never felt authentic. But because it was being done. Like there are legitimate white people, there are legitimate people who have that, who are doing this, who are, who are getting the art, who are wearing this, who are appropriating that culture. And she did not want to be lumped into that. Like she'd rather done anything than to be lumped into that. And that's the hard part. Like I was talking about before, because this is actually happening, because we do have people who are in power, who are appropriating a culture and taking it as own. I know I would never want to be <laughs> accused of doing that because I see it and I would never want to be associated with it. And so even within this, people who do have rightful claim, once again, being affected by colonizers and colonistic attitudes of still being able to be robbed for what's rightfully theirs like yes yes uh, and it's it's so unfair um and the fact that like the ramifications for those people are so much less than what it feels like the ramification for me as an individual will be like andrea smith still teaching still teaching in native studies still published still claiming she's native american oh gross and you want to know why it's worse for those who actually have that because you're going to get it from both sides that's the thing you're going to get it from both sides of, of of the fence and that is freaking hard and that's why it's exhausting and that's why like for the, the for the young lady who was just like and i so i didn't fight it i just kind of but I, I don't, I do not blame them. I do not blame her. That must be so very exhausting to live in a life to where, once again, your day to day life is affected by how other people perceive you. Mm-hmm. And, and let me tell you, this, this topic in itself hits so hard, not only for me, who is medium and people never really guess for the most part. I mean, black people know. <laughs> They always know. Uh, But my daughter, who is goldy, blonde hair, fair skin, you know, my fear for her and her life, who is very in touch with their culture, uh, 
who feels very much every part of her mixedom and embraces it and love it. But girl, like, I, I fear for her. And not to mention, like, because of her perception, her being the things that people will feel that they can say around her. Because mm-hmm. she's basically incognito. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's real. So that's a topic for another day. Yeah. <laughs> when we talk about this response to, I think when we they'll have the article, when half is whole, learning from stories of multi-ethnic Asian American identities, like I said, we yeah. had the, um, the intro, there was something so beautiful. And the author, so he uses this metaphor of the moon. I love, I love his moon metaphor. Oh, next tattoo. Um, I love it. He's just basically talking about like a feeling half of anything like the moon and talking about, and I just picked up these things of like, you can't quantify it. And we're always kind of striving for wholeness. And we have things apart on us that people want to only have on the dark side of it. It right. just like kept, even like, when you see oh. the full moon, you aren't seeing the full moon. Oh. Um, and so, but when you're seeing a half moon, it's still the full moon. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's it just so oh. lovely. Oh, gave me chills. And that's why I was like, this right here just debunked the people are onions thing. And that's mm-hmm. like we talk about Shrek was wrong. We're not onions. Because eventually there is a core. And you can definitely peel down and get to all the layers and get to the center. And then like, oh, let's take off all this skin and wrap. It's, a, it's onion. Uh, onion's an onion. And But a moon to see it in all of its... In its, in its fullness. And it's only about how you perceive it is what you're actually seeing and how you treat it and what you call it. And I thought this was so applicable to not just race, but even in gender as well. Oh, I see this, so I will call it this. Yes. Oh my God. This. I hadn't even thought of that, but you're so right. You're so right. right. And it just has so much to do of like what people perceive it because this is how I perceive it. That's what I'm going to call it. And it just hit me like, oh, it was so beautiful. I cannot wait. I have to get my hand on this book because I, I really want to hear it. So it's going to have multi stories. It's like 11 stories. Yeah, I think so. And talking about their experience. And he talks about it's not necessarily like an academic vibe, but really sharing experiences, which I'm, ugh, I'm already there. But in this, I think hopefully going forward, as we talk about these topics, I think answering this question is fully loaded and could be an actual study thesis. But what I think we're really striving for, what are we actually seeing? Are we seeing in part? Are we seeing half of something that's actually a whole? And even that, I, when I was talking about debunking this whole people or onion thing, I'm like, but what But what are we? And before reading about this so perfectly put moon, I've always considered myself and other people, specifically mixed people, as like these tapestries that are ongoing, mm. that are made of different materials, made with different textiles and stitches. And even when we think we can see the whole work being done, there's this whole other side that is ongoing, ever flexing, the effort, the work, the heartache, the stringing together. Some pieces have been cut and some pieces will never be connected and unknown. And it's unseen in its whole, in its wholeness, in its own reality. And I'm like, yeah, I I just can't deal with that whole getting down to the center of a person when it's this on working, beautiful tapestry in this beautiful ongoing moon. And I think if we start looking at people more like that, perhaps it would not be our knee jerk reaction to be affected by colonistic, white, cis, (laughs) male, patriarchal line of categorizing people so quickly 
yeah, this question is just so rooted in like colonialism. Like we are holding ourselves to a to a measure that only exists because of colonialism. Um and because there have been white people who have taken advantage of this system, it has trickled down to making all of us fearful of exploring our own identity and and learning about ourselves and and presenting as ourselves to the world because the world has expectations that we may may or may not fit. Yeah. Yeah, it's real and and it's and I feel so much for people who are just too tired to to do it like i i I, like i've i've been there (laughs) like i've been there we've you know it's it's work and it sucks that it's like the work can't just speak for itself um you have to speak for the work Mm -hmm. and and i think that's the thing so we have this that's very rooted in, in colonization but also this fear and that's like i said it sucks from both ends is that there's this fear of losing our culture to appropriation that yeah. people have to be so tied on the reins that people are. So it's kidding it from both sides. Like I, I also understand the protection. I also understand the side eye of double checking because we constantly feel certain parts of our culture slipping away that the knee jerk reaction is to be even more protective of it. And I, 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 I get that in every essence of my body. It just, where does it leave unicorns? But, yeah. but, but stuck in this exhausting place of having to prove, like we said in a, one of our very first episodes of always feeling half enough and having to straddle and, and having to figure it out. But we are creating more spaces. And I think that's why this is so important to us, where we have these places where come and explore in this safety because it's an ongoing journey. And as you have self-discovery, especially something even important as we grow up and we kind of even leave our families and go into society, into the world, and then we kind of come back in and out and find the importance of our, our lineage and heritage and more technology that comes out. We're able to yeah. search and do these things as well. It's I think there is something very poignant about this time in our particular age group about going and finding that to really center ourselves and ground ourselves in those racial identities. Oh, girl. Yeah, girl. And girl, I don't even want to go into the world of like DNA testing. No. Um, but I know that that's, that's probably a thing people have on their mind. And though we are like a composite of, of DNA and of our, of the people who came before, like, I don't know about the DNA testing. <laughs> I've got, I mean, on top of being just, I don't need my DNA floating out there. I have a child. I already have DNA floating out without me. Like, I don't need, no, I just have trust issues. Yeah. And where's no, it going to point to? Like, yeah, and I think I'm more speaking to, you know, the people who are like, I'm 1% Native American. I'm trying to get in touch with my culture. Like, <sighs> Okay. <laughs> That one's hard. That one's really, really hard. I don't know. I I always go back and forth of whether I actually want to do it just because the ties of my family are are so hard. Our, my family's so small. Yeah. And it's, we don't have a lot of connection to it between being Irish, German, and Black. I'm like, could I pick three more people 
who do not have the best records of anybody. <laughs> so right. it's just, yeah. What, what are they going to find besides sadness? So, yeah. I, I mean, I think, and this is something we go back to all the time, uh-huh. distilling down what is the purpose? Like, what yeah. are you looking for when you're uh-huh. searching for that connection to cultural identity? Yeah. Got it. You got to figure out your reasons for wanting to do that. And it has to be more than you just want to feel special. Yeah. It's, and I'm, I'm hoping through this month you're able to really ask those those questions by maybe talking to family members. And we even talked about this before, even like our, our white co-conspirators out there, like ask your family, like have those conversations, you know, and have real honest conversations. Cause I think feeling like you need to feel special, but actually realize you actually really are authentically in your own. I think will also help with that as well of just like having pride in what you already are instead of having to go search and dig for something that might be somebody else's. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I really encourage people. I really hope people are having those conversations with their family and having a look back at the family and, and figuring out where do you fit in that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lifelong journey, yo. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Are you, are you feeling the need to be happy? Uh, yeah, let's, let's get let's happy. Let's get happy. <laughs> all right tamika what is making you happy this week uh i (laughs) so this i i will say actually today today actually made myself pretty happy Uh, uh, all right i'm back on my old bowl all right it's two things sorry (laughs) i'm the worst always Um, two i not always i have (laughs) i have gotten so much better one i bought my first crop top and i feel very liberated as 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 a as a plus size woman um i'm just really becoming furthermore encouraged and it's hot it's sticky. It's humid. It's humid here. You ha- you have to pay for the greenery by being sticky. Not into it. Um, so I bought my first crop top, and I'm slightly living for myself. And I'm just like, yes, stretch marks. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Come come through, Fupa. <laughs> it's like I'm fully living. And then today was the first time I didn't know. I don't know how long. I actually just like while my daughter was eating lunch. I'll say I'll eat lunch later. Um, I did my makeup for the first time <laughs> and I'm not massively huge on makeup, but there's just something about it. It feels like a little bit of armor. It feels like you can, you know, a little bit of mascara can go a long way, a little, a little highlighter on the cheekbones. And I think it just also do with things of like, if that's what you need this week to feel good, if that's what you need to get through today, girl, you throw on a cute crop top, you paint that face and you stay home and do your homework. <laughs> Yes. I think it's always pretty amazing how making your physical appearance like a certain way can make you feel a certain way, right? Like, I I think, I think, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like coming up when we did, there was such a focus on like being beautiful. Um, and having this very narrow view of what beauty was that it like instilled in me this like kind of 
pushback on like wanting to look nice um, uh-huh. because I like I knew I couldn't fit fit the stereotype. Um, and so I think for a long time I kind of dismissed like makeup or dressing nice as like shallow. Um, it's kind of a defense mechanism against that. But I I love now I love to see like women, anyone, but but I feel like it more often happens with women, like really expressing themselves through their physical appearance. Like I love it. Because you know that the the like on the inside they're feeling it. And yeah. I just I love it. I love oh. it. Like it was I I mean, I'm with you there. If you're not conventionally beautiful, it to me I was like, F it. If I'm never going to be it, why am I ever going to try for it? Like, that's exhausting if I'm never going to be with that. And in my mind, I was always chubby. I was always short, have big hair. And it actually went, um, I had a friend of mine in college who was a a drag queen and watching him or her in drag and along with a couple of his other friends who are in drag, feeling so empowered by slapping on some boobs and putting on some heels and just finding convention. And as I got older, more into that world, I'm like, but it's so funny that these, they identify as men, and but they felt so powerful in the body that they're achieving that happens to be what I was already born into. I was like, I already have boobs. <laughs> like I can have heels. Like I can do this. And I just love like how empowered they felt. And I was like, can I also have that as well? Can I? So it was, it was kind of like breaking into that and them kind of showing me how to fix the space um, in, their, in their words. But like you said, it didn't, it didn't really, really matter in, in that. And it isn't even like pretty. It's just different and it's unique and playing with color and shape and it's art. Like now I look at people who are makeup artists. I'm like, that is a, you are an artist. You're a magician. Yeah. And I'm so mesmerized by nail and hair. It's it's work and it's something that I am far from mastering, but I appreciate it so much because I definitely think it does. It's like that self-care. It does just putting on a different color on your eyes can just set a tone for a whole day. And I yeah. appreciate it. So that was me. That was me today. We'll see how long it stays on. <laughs> yeah, whenever I wear eye makeup, I end up with like makeup all over because I just touch eyes. my eyes too much. <laughs> what about what about you, Boo? What's making you happy these days? Yeah, I'm gonna go with um, eating outside. Oh. as my like I know I bet like lots of people are over it because of COVID and having to like Never. eat outside but I I just love a like patio eating I, like and by patio I mean my own patio yes. um, but yeah or or just like sitting out in the evening like drinking a cup of tea and reading a book oh. on the patio like there's something that's just that's like about as as naturey as I can get most of the time. Um, so that's that's what's making me happy. Oh, let's just do it. Let's go to France, eat outside. I let in me our tell crop you tops. in our crop tops with our 1997 roll on lip smackers vanilla glitter. Love it. Vanilla is <laughs> the best flavor. It's the only one worth having. Yeah. Like close second, maybe like a chocolate frosting, but vanilla vanilla will always be. And you, I mean, obviously, I'm into vanilla. So. <laughs> <Obviously>. <laughs> oh, love it. 
Love it. All right, y'all. We want to hear about all the things making you happy and your thoughts about this this question of can you appropriate your own culture. You can let us know. You can reach us via social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Biracial Unicorns. We're on Twitter at Biracial Magic. Or you can send us an email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. We want to give a huge shout out to Dolly Pop Art. She's made our very iconic Biracial Unicorns art Go see her stuff. It is cute. It's amazing. It's fierce. A little scary. It's everything. It is so all the good. Things. Yeah, it's all the things. Please go support her. We also want to give a huge shout out to Joseph Scott, uh, who's done our beautiful intro and outro music. We want to give us a, a little wave over there to So Smith's Photography, who's done some lovely photos of us. And if you find it so in your heart, we would appreciate it if you would listen and also rate and write a review. You have no yes. clue how much that that just helps us. And by helping us. What I mean is continually to get this information out there. We didn't create the show to hear our own voices, despite what you may think. (laughs) We did this so that way to be able to give space for all unicorns to be able to go on this journey with us. So the more people that hear it, the more people who need to hear it do. Drop us five stars. Yes, yes. Specifically that. (laughs) Because nothing else helps. Just that. (laughs) I hate this world. I know, I know. I even I feel weird asking, but I feel like do I want to feel weird or do I want people to hear it? So it's like people hearing it kind of outweighs the weirdness of it. Are we yes. going to cut this part? No, we'll just leave this part in. That <laughs> <laughs> this is authentic. You should see how how, how much we it feel. Means. Yeah, it's it's true. All right, y'all. Well, we'll be back next week with a mini-sode and in two weeks with another full episode. Mm-hmm. All right, peace out.